0: Today's read, Midnight, A gangster Love Story by Sister Soja, Chapter 30, The Wedding. The next morning at 8 a.m., I was on the grounds of the wedding ceremony. In true form to Sudanese weddings, the gathering would not begin until 5 p.m. in hopes of really getting it moving by 6 p.m. Sudanese are known to work hard, but when it comes to celebrations and parties, the festivities started late and would go on well into the early morning. I put in six hours, accepted the deliveries and squared the independent contractors away properly. Uma was given six or seven workers to carry out her instructions for the day. She told me, and then I told them, exactly what to do. When everything was the way she wanted it, I called the car service, and we were taken back to the palace hotel. We needed to shower again and dress there. Our clothes were in Uma's room, and Uma had to ride back up to the wedding with the arriving bride. After making certain, she was a perfect vision. Fozzie's barber hit me with a fresh lineup at the hotel, the last in a long line of priority heads. The shower water refreshed me. I was feeling exhausted from the past week's heavy workload and brief sleeps. I was glad this was our last day of service to the wedding, especially since I had only one more tailored suit. You see, no Sudanese would wear jeans, no matter how expensive they were, or kicks, to a special occasion. Fresh dressed, I pressed the button for the elevator. When the doors opened, I got on. Standing in the corner, also writing down, was a pretty face and familiar set of eyes. It was Sudana who served me the Sudanese sweets in the Bronx, the daughter of Mr. Ghazali, She moved her eyes from mine and I did the same as was customary. She spoke. Salam, she said. "'I saw you yesterday evening at the mosque.' "'Yes, I was working for your father,' I admitted. "'You were looking very nice for a worker,' she smiled. "'And today,' she continued. "'Today you are looking very nice as the cousin of the groom,' I said." swiftly interrupting her compliments towards me and showering them onto her instead. That's funny, she said with a laugh. Do you really mean it? The doors opened. Akimi was standing there, poised to enter the elevator. She smiled brightly. Akimi, I said, stepping out into the lobby. Nice shoes, Sudana complimented Akimi, looking down on her authentic, dark, blue alligator, open toe, high heels, the straps crisscrossing across her pretty feet and up her ankle. Those shoes were more than nice. She doesn't speak English, I told Sudana. Your girlfriend? Sudana asked me with a coy half smile. She knew it was a trick question since she and I are both Muslim and are both not allowed to date outside of a marriage. Friend, I replied. She looks like more than a friend to me, Sudana said comfortably, knowing that Akimi could not understand her. But looking at Akimi, I was certain that even though she could not understand the words, she could understand the moment. No worries, Sudana said sweetly with a woman's sarcasm. We are living in America now, and I have heard that in America you can do anything. No rules, she smiled, Penetrating me with her Sudanese wildcat eyes. The rest of herself covered in a Sudanese forest green thobe, which accentuated that untamed feeling she let off. Breaking the moment, I chose to introduce them Sudana, this is Akimi. Akimi, this is Sudana. They each said something, but both of their sets of erotic eyes were really doing all of the talking. Just then, Akimi's little angry translator from her uncle's store skipped into action. "'What's going on here?' she asked with her two fists balled up on her hips. I was surprised to see her. She was dressed up like a sweet little princess with a bunch of ribbons in her hair. I didn't let her childlike looks fool me, though. I knew she was a firecracker.' I put my arm around Akimi's waist. Sudana looked at me hard and said, See you at the wedding. All right then, was all I said. I took Akimi and her cousin up to Uma before the rumors spread that I was embracing a female in the lobby. Mayonaka. Akimi placed her hands gently on the little girl's shoulders. Sachi, she said, introducing us. "'Konichiwa, Sachi,' I said. "'You know I speak English,' the little girl said with an attitude. "'You're right,' I said. "'And you should thank me,' the little girl pushed. "'And why is that?' I asked. "'Because without me, Akimi wouldn't even be here today.' My father said Akimi's hand was over Sachi's mouth. It was the only thing that stopped Sachi from talking since she appeared in the hotel lobby." She knelt down to the little girl's height level. The curve of Akimi's legs pressed against her soft, silk-wave skirt, which covered most of her legs but was cut on a seductive angle. I admire the deep, blue, authentic alligator sash that crossed over her soft, ruffled blue blouse and held her alligator-skinned knapsack in place on her back. It matched her shoes exactly. "'She must have gone shopping in that vault at Bergdorf's,' I thought to myself. "'I couldn't overlook that she had covered her hair today. "'She wore a deep blue, her maize silk scarf tied tight to hold in her thick hair. "'Somehow, with some scissors, I figured, "'she had shaped the extra material into the shape of a flower blossom, "'a head wrap unlike anything I had ever seen. "'Her sense of style was unique.' attractive and flawless. She spoke Japanese to the little girl, and whatever she told her, the little girl made a mean face at first, but then straightened up. I really didn't want to cause Akemi any problems with her family. I really didn't want to cause Akemi any problems with her family. (sighs) Yet, I had been working so hard over these past few days, and that was what I had to concentrate on, to complete the job and reap the reward for Uma and my family. Naja was excited to meet Sachi. Sachi greeted and treated Naja better than I had seen her treat anyone else. I escorted them to Uma. I left them, all my ladies there together. I got right back into work mode. There is this sound that Sudanese women make with the waving of their tongue that causes everyone, everywhere to stop, listen and take notice. I had not heard it in seven years. I was hearing it now not from one woman but 600 females from the youngest to the eldest tongues waving a shrilling high sound the wedding was about to begin The piercing call of the women brought on the frantic drumming from the men. The scent of Uma's perfumes and elixirs intoxicated the air. Lemongrass was used to repel the insects. Sandalwood and jasmine were to lure the people and hold them there. There was an explosion of colors. Every shade, pattern, and blend imaginable, except red and gold, which was traditionally reserved for the bride. The Sudanese women were the only ones more beautiful than the 10,000 gardenias, orchids, and roses, which were hanging, sprinkled, and dangling everywhere. The Sudanese men, tall, strong, and adorned in fabulous fabrics, some with turbans, some with kufis, some bareheaded, moved in the procession with an excited coolness. It was an army I brought to myself. Nice Yet, I wondered where they all had come from, and why were so many of them living here in America now? I smiled, realizing that only a wedding could draw them out in these great numbers. Otherwise, these proud Sudanese men would all be hard-working, hidden, anonymous, and invisible to everyone except their families because of the way we tend to separate ourselves from anything unfamiliar. Still, we were all here living in America, gathered at a wedding, enjoying, yet wishing we were back home, I'm sure. No one except Uma could have created a beautiful Sudanese village right there in West Chester. The sea of genuinely happy and excited people opened up under the curved tent that was the size of half an American football field. It was not a standard white tent. The inside walls were adorned with red, yellow, and gold murals painted with passion by the two Iranian and two Sudanese painters. The explosion of colorful art made an already warm evening feel warmer and extremely welcoming. As the drumming eased down to a soft simmer, the people sat down in waves, some in chairs, some on stools, many on the huge royal red carpet which stretched across the lawn. Sixteen. Young Sudanese teen girls, decked in tangerine robes, sang a song of prayer all together. Their voices filled with emotion. Their hands were wrapped around thick circular gold candles. Hot wax gathered in a small pool at the top of each candle yet below the flickering flame. Sixteen. Young Sudanese males, all dressed in brown and gold, recited the Fatiha all at once the bride appeared shimmering she stood out like Sirius the brightest star in the universe the intricate gold embroidery brocade that lined her royal red robe was unmatched the red sheer cloth which draped over her hair and body had the gold beadwork carefully placed to highlight her beauty on her face were a line of gold beads that stretched across her forehead featuring her exquisite green eyes which were outlined with black holes. Her cinnamon skin color was a perfect canvas for Uma's work. Her head downward and placed one hand over her face. Her fingers, hands, and palms now revealed the elegance of Uma's carefully drawn henna. Her wrist was glistening with the ten diamond bangles, which not one of three thousand eyes failed to notice. Prisms of colors sparkled from them and were dancing throughout the crowd. Her other hand, down at her side, jingled with ten twenty-four-carat gold bangles, which were banging also. The soft, light cloth of her garment suggested a beautiful figure, but did not give it all away. Fozzie is fortunate, I thought. So far, his parents had not disappointed him. The bride was facing both her mother and father. She dropped down and kissed their knees as an acknowledgment and show of respect. Also with her were her four younger sisters and four brothers, all of whom had come to the United States for their first time and only for their sister's wedding. How powerful their father must feel, I thought to myself. To have brought forth nine children to have raised his eldest 17-year-old daughter properly under his careful eye, to give her hand in such a grand gathering to such a successful man and family. The father had been a careful planner. Allah had given him a great sign of approval. I believed every person was either reflecting on their own wedding or dreaming of what was to come and hoping that it could be half as perfect for them also. Right across from the huge tent was their newly built home, a sturdy American mansion made of bricks. Fozzie and his wife would be the first to have ever lived in the house, which Uma had wrapped in a three-foot-wide ribbon that was also 20,000 feet long, culminating in a huge bow that was mounted on their front door. Outside of their new home was a stone water fountain that continuously sprayed water into the air, caught it on one of its stone shelves, and let it flow down, dribbling and gurgling like a stream. Of course, there was a huge black iron electric gate that secured his acres, but the gate was wide open to everyone for today. A Sudanese wedding welcomes the community to the happiest day in a man's life outside of the birth of his daughter or son. Even curious neighbors would not have been turned away on the wedding day. Fozzie and his bride sat on a king-sized mattress blanketed with a wickedly patterned red and gold crochet cover which Uma stitched. On top of the crochet were pounds and pounds of rose petals. At the center of the tent they sat, declaring their oaths to one another, under the guide of their guardians and imam. The word quabal was spoken by Fawzi and his bride, then repeated by many in celebration, signaling the completion of the official aspect of the wedding. Uma stood up front and off to the side, watching everything with a critical eye. I thought it would be impossible for her to find one flaw. She had done a tremendous job of expressing a culture that she knew and lived so well. Wearing sky blue, she was behind both her hijab and niqab today. Her identity shielded just an incredible set of eyes. An artist, a supervisor, a worker, a woman who wanted to be left alone with her memories feelings and thoughts more than she wanted to be recognized and commended. As the live band played, every comfort was made available to the huge crowd, courtesy of Fawzi's family finances and Uma Designs. There was an elaborate stretch of tables covered in fine cloths which offered all Sudanese foods, catered by the North African Food Company. There was a spread of breads, Cheeses and chutneys, sauces, soups, beans, lentils, olives, salads, vegetables and stews. There were grilling stations offering chicken, beef and lamb. There were dessert stations offering creams, custards, caramels, yogurts, finger cakes and sor- finger cakes, and sorbets. There were fruit stations offering mangoes. Guavas, dates, oranges, apples, hibiscus, and lemon. There were Sudanese drink stations offering aradip, maaza, kakadai, merinda, and stem. There was the tea lady and the coffee bean fryer. There were water and ice stations. People could become full on the aroma of this elaborate feast alone. In business mode, I worked the crowd as the party jumped off. I introduced myself as part of the wedding planning team while handing out business cards to brothers, sons, uncles, cousins, and fathers. In some instances, I collected their cards as well. The bride performed an erotic celebration dance for her new husband, surrounded by a curtain of colorful cloths held up by her female friends and I could hear their cheering. As I continued my networking, I would whiz by people speaking all kinds of different languages and dialects. Parts of conversations would capture my attention. Yes, he had the house built. It was one million dollars for the property and another million for the house. U.S. dollars? They chuckled at the unimaginable sum for the average worker years ago, my father's wealth was viewed with the same type of awe when compared to the amounts earned by the average Sudanese family living in the Sudan. Back home, for that amount of money, he could have lived forever like a king, owning land stretching as far as he could see. Look at the few acres such big numbers buys him here. Inshallah, He will survive this purchase. What he'll pay each year in property taxes alone will be more than I pay to rent my entire apartment for the year. I was listening carefully. Now I realized that the house and the property could cost two separate large sums. Even after you officially buy and own the land... You still have to pay the U.S. government a large property tax. It didn't sound fair, yet it sounded true. No worries. The bank gave him a huge loan. When he pays the mortgage, the price of the loan repayment, the interest on the loan, house insurance, and property tax costs are all included. That's not free money. You make it sound so easy well, he's got 30 years to pay it back. I felt myself sinking into the lawn under the weight of these words. I could feel that they were not exaggerated. They were the details that men discuss between themselves. These were the burdens that men must carry quietly. He's a big man, son of a bigger man from a good family. He will do fine one of the men speaking said, gesturing wildly like he was speaking to the deaf. It was the eldest man of 80 years or more who made the startling prediction. When he adds up the price of a Sudanese bride, clothes, jewels and the honeymoon, and the six kids that will come out in the first six years or less, he'll go crazy and die. Of an American heart attack at age 34. Allah forbid, the others said all at once. He has a PhD in chemical engineering. He will be more wealthy than he is right now in no time. America will pay him handsomely to make bombs for them to drop all over the world. Even on the Sudan, the elder asked, everyone grew quiet. Sudana snuck up on me. I saw you from across the room. You looked thirsty, she said, offering me a glass of guava juice. Thank you. You seem to always be seeing me. Can I prepare a plate of food for you, she asked. No, thank you, I told her. She looked disappointed. She paused, then regrouped standing beside me but with her body turned away as though she and I were not actually conversing she said she's pretty and she's probably smart too must be but is she Sudanese she asked I smiled knowing she was speaking about Akimi I didn't answer I knew where she was heading with it every Sudanese will tell the other marry Sudanese and no one else. Only a Sudanese woman will share your beliefs, language, traditions, and know what is expected of her. Only a Sudanese woman would know, most importantly, what not to do. Is she even Muslim? Sudana said softly. She doesn't have to be. You know a Muslim man can marry a non-Muslim woman, "'because she will follow his lead. "'But you can never marry a non-Muslim man "'because he will surely mislead you,' I said, smiling. "'So clever,' she responded and walked away into the crowd. "'Not as clever as you,' I thought to myself. "'I wasn't mad at Sudana, "'but I wouldn't play with her either. "'Sudanese women receive our highest respect.' She is also the daughter of the man with whom I was doing the biggest biggest business our company has ever done. Why should I lie to her when my whole everything was caught up and locked into Akimi so tight? Sudana couldn't possibly know. I didn't pick Akimi because she was not Muslim or not Sudanese. Akimi just happened to me like how a day radiant with sunshine converts into a downpour of rain seconds and now I was drenched and I liked it. Akimi felt good and true and right for me in every way. As I walked, I spotted the Imam head on. I also saw Sudana place herself right beside Akimi on the other side of the tent. They stood together like two gazelles. As-salamu alaykum Imam Musa. I have a question, please. I asked respectfully. As-salamu alaykum, young brother. Aleikum salam, young brother. He nodded me on. What age does a male have to be to marry? I asked. He smiled. The wedding has inspired you, he asked. I was inspired before the wedding. I heard your kutbah last night. I want to do what is right before I do what is wrong. Do you follow my words? I asked him. Of course, he said solemnly. Your holy Quran does not give an age for marriage. It is only that you are required to be the age of puberty. Of the age of puberty, he said, watching for my reaction. Then it is legal, I asked. Can a 14-year-old take a wife? I asked again. There is a difference between Allah's law and the law of this United States, he said. Allah requires that you marry a female before engaging in sexual intercourse. Sex with any woman who is not your wife is haram, forbidden. The United States does not require marriage for sexual intercourse, it simply requires that an adult not have sex with a child. In this state of New York, legally, you may marry at age 15 with your parents' permission and the permission of the parents of the bride, if she is also young. At 14, however, you cannot marry legally in the state of New York. What is the rush, she asked. I didn't answer, just looked into his eyes solemnly. As a man more than an imam, I was sure he knew what the rush was about. Self-restraint can be achieved through fasting, he suggested. If you fast, Allah will reduce your desire so that you might control yourself. In my view, the opportunity to have sexual intercourse freely should not be the only reason you take a wife. He waited for me to say something in response. But I was racing into my own thoughts. In July, on the 27th, I would turn 15 years old. This was only three months away, yet I didn't know when Akimi's birthday was. And then, of course, the permission of both of our parents was the problem. I could barely get an audience with her uncles, and the fact that her father was overseas was a huge dilemma. How could I win his confidence that I am his daughter's match? Take a look around, son. Fozzie's father has been working, planning, and saving for this great occasion since his son's birth. For more than two decades, even the groom has done his part. He studied diligently and worked very hard. It takes patience and determination to attain certain things and levels in life, the imam said. But a poor man may take a wife and marry and love her. If he is a good man, she will follow him even into a mud hut, I asked, borrowing Fazi's lines. A good woman will marry a good man and follow him wherever he may lead. This is true, the imam offered. Two male witnesses? or one male and two female witnesses, and to recite the nikah and gift the mar is all that Allah requires. And if a poor man who has reached puberty chooses a wife, he can still work hard and achieve wealth and the blessings of Allah, can't he? Choosing a wife does not make him poor, right? A good wife makes the poorest of men wealthy, you are right, the imam agreed. Shukran, Imam Musa, I said, thanking him. He gave me his card. Sachi dashed by. Naja chased her. Some woman must have fallen in love with Sachi and draped a hijab over her head. Now Sachi's hair was covered, just as Naja's was. By the night's end, the guests were filled to the brim. The children were exhausted from running, clapping, singing, playing jump rope, double dutch, and double orange. The males were checking their watches and easing their families away in preparation for Monday morning. The beautiful ribbon was cut. The bow busted open. Fozzie escorted his wife into their new house for her first time. In this new house, Fozzie will remove her shoes and wash her feet, Uma said, standing beside me, seeming to reminisce. <music> Mr. Ghazali appeared, resting his hand on my shoulders, smiling and sighing with great approval. It is time to settle our accounts, young man. I have to travel back to the Bronx with my family. There is work and school tomorrow for you, too, he checked his Timex. It's already the next day, really, he said with a tired smile. After I counted and recounted the final payment of $5,000 cash in his presence, I pulled out his receipt, which I had already written up. Our business card was stapled on top. Thank you for choosing Uma Designs, I said. We are forever grateful for your business. If you are satisfied with our work, please do not hesitate to recommend our services to a friend or coworker. We shook hands. Your work will recommend itself. Everyone has personally witnessed what your company has done. You will have an abundance of business in the near future, I'm sure. He leaned in with a laugh and said, "'Maybe I should fire my sons and hire you. "'The cleaning company will arrive in the morning "'and the Canopy Company, the commode Company, "'and the North African Food Company representatives "'will come to collect their supplies. "'Would you like me to meet you here in the morning?' I asked. Wow you have the money in your hands "'and you are still offering your services.' join me, he said with a new burst of energy and a slap to my back. Thank you for the offer, but I'm good working for Uma. You know, family comes first, I told him. We were both speaking in Arabic. He leaned in again as though he was about to share a big secret with me. The driver of the town car number 19, out front, will for you and your family back to the Palace Hotel, "'courtesy of Mr. Ghazali. "'Get a good night's rest. "'Check out at noon tomorrow. "'Your duties have been completed. "'Allah Hafiz, son,' he said, "'meaning may Allah keep you well. "'Shukran,' I told him, "'meaning thank you in Arabic. "'Uma, Akimi, and Naja "'were patiently waiting for me "'while Sachi skipped around the entire empty tent, "'still bursting with energy, "'same as if it was midday.' I gestured and told them, one more minute, ladies, as I walked away to the three-foot-tall vase where I stashed my gun underneath some wood chips earlier. To my surprise and alarm, it wasn't there. I searched again. I stood up thinking and worrying and reassuring myself that no one saw me drop it in there and that there would be no reason for anyone to go digging in In one of their wedding props either. It didn't matter though. Either way, my joint was still missing. Sudana walked over, distracting me at a bad moment. Akimi saw Sudana from across the room. She was walking over toward me as well. Uma and Naja watched. Sachi was singing her version of one of the wedding songs she heard earlier. I wrapped this up for you, Sudana said, handing me a gift. It's okay, Sudana. Uma Designs provided the wedding gifts to the guests, so I don't need one. Akimi arrived. We stood there, the three of us. Oh, I think you'll need this. I'm sure I have what you are looking for, Sudana said, her wild cat eyes changing colors right before me. I stared at the nicely wrapped gift box in her open hand. Akimi stared, too. "'I would have held it for you all night if you asked me to,' Sudana said. "'I took the gift. Now I knew it was my gun. "'Thank you, Sudana, really, and good night,' I said, relieved. "'There is no thank you between us,' she said with a smile. "'There is no thank you between friends.' She smiled even more. And we three are all friends, right? She asked, then turned towards Akimi. And good night, Akimi. Thank you for coming. It was a pleasure to meet you. As she walked away, she waved politely, believing that Akimi could not decipher her flirtations, but I knew she was underestimating Akimi. Our front it was fair fe- out front it was fairly dark. I looked around my eyes adjusting after having been in the bright lights in the yard. As soon as the town car pulled around directly in front of Uma, I opened the door for her. I took her shopping bags. She got in. As Akimi stooped to get in with her bags, I grabbed her hand discreetly and pulled her towards me. I told Naja and Sachi to get in the car first instead. I took her shopping bags also, then walking Akimi around to the trunk... I knocked on the trunk door, signaling the driver to open up. As I packed in Uma's two full shopping bags, I tilted my head in the direction of the Japanese dude, standing way across the street in the dark shadows, underneath a newborn tree with slim branches. Without words, I was asking her if she recognized him. Akimi exhaled as she stared off in the Japanese guy's direction. By this time, I could see that there were three other dudes seated in a black infinity sedan parked over there, although I couldn't make their faces. She wasn't saying nothing for some reason, neither were they. I walked Akimi to our car door and pushed her inside the car with Uma. I left her shopping bag on the ground. I leaned in through the front passenger window and told the driver to give me five minutes. I stooped down as if I were tying my shoes and tore the paper from the gift and pulled out my twenty-two. I left the box on the ground, stood up, and tucked my joint in my belt. I walked over there, slowly, stopping halfway in the middle of the street, standing on a weird angle not to give them any advantage. I did not know this dude, but from what little I could see, I knew I didn't like his looks in the dark I asked what's up there was no wedding welcome or smile on my face or in my tone of voice I came for Akimi he answered in a firm emotionless voice that didn't sound right in my ear who are you to her I asked now I had my right hand on my tool their back car window rolled down revealing the profile of Hiro and Kano. "'the two Japanese brothers I played basketball with in Jersey. "'It's us, man. Uncle sent us to pick up a "'It's okay, right?' "'No problem.' "'He seemed intimidated and was asking in a purposely polite tone "'with an innocent grin. "'The other cat, under the tree, still wasn't smiling, "'intimidated or saying nothing. "'Who is he?' I asked Hiro. "'Our elder brother.' Ichiro, Keno answered. My attention eased up slowly. I walked over to our car, tapped on the top of the car, and Akimi and Sachi crawled out. Your family has come for you. Both of you, I told her. Akimi looked at me as if she wanted to stay with me, but I was sending her back home. That's how it goes. She belonged to her family, unless I step up as a man the way the groom did today and take her away properly. And when a man takes a woman for his wife properly, no man can come take her anywhere or even speak a word to her without the husband's permission. Akimi reached in and hugged Uma. Sayonara, she said softly and smiled with regret. Uma kissed Akimi's cheek through the window. I handed her the shopping bag. Sachi ran over to her cousin's car, skipping happily, shouting, Good night, Naja. Next time, I won't cheat. I promise. The elder brother snatched the hijab off of Sachi's head as though a simple piece of cloth could turn her Muslim. Akimi walked over and extended her hand forward toward him, and he handed the hijab to her. Akimi folded it nicely and placed it with everything else she had collected. She waved good night to me. She got in the car. The elder brother jumped in the driver's seat and sped off. As I got into the front seat of our car, Mr. Ghazali and Sudana stood watching in the distance on the grass. I adjusted my frame of mind and gave them a second good night. In the car, I told the driver to take us to the Palace Hotel in Manhattan. He responded, no problem, then pulled off slowly. I knew if I had announced our Brooklyn address instead, he would have been making excuses just to keep from traveling into the area. The clock on his dashboard read 12.49 a.m. Naja wasted no time nodding off up against Uma. Uma rested her head on the headrest, her eyes closed but not asleep. You did an incredible job, Uma. I complimented her. She smiled with her head still tilted. I got a business card from the wedding photographer. I convinced him to take some close-ups of the clothes you designed. I gave him a $35 deposit. He said we can pick up the photos next week. I set it up so you can use the pictures as samples of your work for your new clients. After tonight, you'll definitely have some new clients, I assured her. She opened her eyes, finally, and took a good long look at me. I could tell she wasn't thinking about her business at the moment, but she also knew I wasn't ready to talk about Akemi right then. My mother is smart and sweet. So she let the topic go and just said, Inshallah, in response to the possibilities of the new business ventures. At the Palace Hotel, we didn't get settled in until around 3.10 a.m., I didn't see a possible way for Uma to awaken for work at 5 a.m. as she usually would. When I phoned downstairs for our wake-up call, Uma said, tomorrow, no work, no school. I was surprised because since we arrived in the U.S. and she began working, she had never missed one day of work. Even I had not missed one day of work at my part-time job at Chose. "'I am working the night shift "'starting tomorrow, 4 p.m. until midnight, "'Tuesday through Saturday. "'I arranged this in advance, "'switched shifts with my Lebanese co-worker. "'Only for one week,' she said, drifting off to sleep. "'From the floor where I laid, I answered, "'No problem. "'I'll take you every afternoon "'and pick you up every midnight.'" "'Alum de lala, she said softly, meaning praise Allah. "'The next afternoon,' Uma and Naja were still sleeping. I stepped around the hotel room quietly, washed up and dressed. At the front desk, I checked us out and off of Fozzie's father's tab. I asked the front desk clerk the price of one additional night stay. It will cost $275 per night for our single room, he answered. 300 for the double like the one you checked out of. Are these your lowest available prices, I asked. Absolutely, he responded. Our rooms range from 275 up to 5000 per night for the penthouse this week, he emphasized. He seemed to get an extreme charge out of reciting the fees. It was like he enjoyed crushing the customer who couldn't afford it. I was sure that he couldn't afford a room in this hotel where he worked either. I went into my pocket and pulled out my personal money and laid it on the counter to check back into the same double room at my own expense. I knew it was only one night and not an investment that offered any financial return. However, I found myself feeling fucked up about possibly having to wake my family and rush them back onto our Brooklyn block. The thought of returning home made my muscles tighten, I felt Uma deserved so much more after the immense job she had just completed. And if she took a day off, along with Naja, I would help them to relax and feel good and be happy. My treat. As she slept, I glanced at her. My Uma. I wanted to give her something. I found myself asking myself what can you give a woman who has already experienced a tremendous love later on the midtown manhattan streets later on in the midtown manhattan streets naja and i searched high and low for a bathing suit suitable for a little girl almost everything in the hotel shops were for grown american women 3 blocks over and 11 blocks down and across we found one right style Naja didn't mind the long walk. She was just excited to the extreme from all of the celebrations, new acquaintances, and also having her brother to herself as Uma relaxed in privacy at the hotel. We had the hotel pool to ourselves and I taught her how to swim that one afternoon. She wasn't afraid of the water, so she caught on easily. I knew that for her to really become comfortable and good at it, she would need some daily or weekly practice. These were the kind of things I wanted to be able to offer my sister. It wasn't about the cost, but it mattered what kind of program I would put her into, who was running it, and what kind of kids participated. I wanted to keep her ways pure, "'Did you know that Uma can dance?' "'Naja asked me when we finished swimming "'and were on the elevator riding up. "'Oh yeah?' I responded, wondering. "'At the Henana, she danced for the ladies. "'She taught Maha how to dance for her new husband, Fozzie. "'I watched her. "'I couldn't believe it was Mommy,' she said. "'And the clothes she wore. "'You should have seen. "'She wore a bra with silver glitter.' it shined she had a necklace around her belly and a jewel right here Naja stuck her finger in her own belly button through her towel and swimsuit did the ladies tell you to tell everybody what went on at their private ladies party nope she answered but I never saw Uma have that much fun before all of the ladies were clapping for her us little girls too there were five of us she said I saw the bride naked. Uma massaged her skin in oils, even her feet. I wanted to do her hair, but they wouldn't let me. I hope that when I get married, there will be so many friends there to treat me so special and help out." "'You're still telling all of the ladies' secrets,' I scolded her. "'But I'm telling you. You said there were no secrets between me, you, and Uma.' As we walked down the hallway towards our room, Naja stopped telling her story of the henana party, which made me believe she knew from the start that she wasn't supposed to be telling in the first place. In the room, Uma was still in her pink satin pajamas, her hair out and down her back, and feet exposed. It was strange to see my mother from a different angle the one that Naja was trying to show me. I always knew that she was so beautiful. I always had the privilege to observe that. But since we lived back home in Africa, seeing her in love with my father and playful with him and he with her, I had not thought of her as more than a mother. And a mother is as close to a supreme being as a human can be. So to imagine her hips swinging and swaying, hypnotizing the younger ladies with her charms was a foreign thought. We showered and made afternoon prayer together, the three of us. Uma changed into a pale yellow dress and a startling yellow lobe, no hijab or niqab today, yet still covered, of course. She wore a two-inch heeled brown leather shoe and matching bag. I could tell she was feeling good, relieved, and free. I took them out for pasta at a nice Italian restaurant. The food was so enjoyable, but there is always the problem of the Italian men's hostility towards the African male and fascination and lust for the African women. I turned down the table they offered. I sat Uma in the corner table, sitting opposite her to block their view. Our server was captivated by the designs on Uma's hands. I thought to myself, there will be two more months of this unwanted attention. That's how long Uma said the henna would last. It's so nice out, Uma remarked. We should take advantage of this week and find ourselves a house, she said. I pulled the folded portion of the newspaper out of my pocket I circled the ones that are in our price range, I said, laying the newspaper on a free space on the table. Did you know that the land and the house could be two separate prices? And there are still the property taxes taxes to pay, I asked her. She smiled. It's okay. We are not buying the kind of property and house that Fawzi purchased in Westchester. We are looking for something small. A small piece of land with a decent-sized backyard for Naja to play in. A fence, of course, and three bedrooms. One bedroom is for me, and the other bedroom is for Naja. The third bedroom will be where I get my sewing work done and keep my supplies. Like an office. She paused and sipped from her water glass, but then she didn't say anything. And your son? I asked. Where will your son go? From the looks of things, my son will go wherever Akimi goes, she smiled. Naja laughed. I broke out in an uncomfortable, in an uncontrollable smile myself. She definitely took me by surprise. Perhaps there will be a finished basement or attic for the two of you. After you recite the nikah together. You will both be welcomed there, of course, she said, blowing my mind. I spoke to the imam. He said the New York state law requires a man to be 15 to marry and only with both parents' permission, I informed her. There is New York state law and there is Allah's law. Allah's law is the highest law. It is best for you two to recite the nikah and for you to take a wife than to corrupt yourselves and bring forth a chaos, baby, Uma said. Two or three witnesses and it is done. You two will be married. She drank from the water glass once more. Yes, you are young, but you are mature, really. There is no finer young man in this country than you, my son. And we are business people. We make our own money. We make our own way. I am certain that you can and will provide nicely for our new household. Naja's eyes and ears were wide open. Today was a day of firsts. Later on was the first time I saw Uma working out in a gymnasium. She ran on the treadmill with her eyes closed, wearing pants, one of my long shirts, and a scarf. I pushed the weights, worked the circuit while Naja tried to walk across the floor on her hands. Late night while Naja slept, Uma and I sat on the floor together, diving into the details of our real lives. No fantasies. Wherever we move, Naja has to have a good school. I really don't want to take her out of Islamic schooling, Uma said. We can ask at her school if they have information about other Islamic schools in the state, I added. True. You know, Tamara Auntie has told me that there are many Sudanese people living in upstate New York and in Philadelphia and the Washington, D.C. area. They must send their children somewhere to be properly trained. But Tamara Auntie said that the daughters of African people... Especially in Washington D.C., are down there losing their dignity. So you and Tamara Auntie are friends now, or just business acquaintances? I asked. She could be a friend, I guess. Uma ventured. I could arrange for us to see some properties on Wednesday, very early after we drop Naja off. Good, Uma agreed. And there is the small matter of getting our citizenship papers. You remember. We completed our applications together and went for fingerprinting. No one forgets being fingerprinted, I said. So, it is time to go in and get our citizenship papers, she reminded me. Yes, I remember. I'll go to City Hall and get the updated list of requirements, I promised. Good, because since your sister was born here, she is an American citizen. Allah forbid something crazy or unexpected happens, you and I would get deported and only she would have the legal right to remain here. They could force us to be separated from Najah. She said these words so seriously. It seemed that she was experiencing a piece of the pain from the thought alone. I'll get the papers for us, I reassured her. And you should consider taking an English course, I said to Uma. You're funny, she said, laughing. Your mother speaks only Arabic. Your love only speaks Japanese. True, and both of you will have to learn if we're going to stay in the U.S. Otherwise, you'll both worry me to death, I said, seriously. She hugged me. I'll do it for you, she said. The Young Bank Teller who sat at the same window every day, broke out of her mechanical routine and got soft and friendly when I handed in the dough. When she looked up and smiled at me, I gave her that mechanical look she usually has plastered on her face. As I turned to leave, I thought to myself, it must be the money. In the taxi, waiting for me outside, I handed Uma the passbook. I pointed out the new stamp confirming our new bank balance, 85,000 U.S. dollars. We dropped Naja directly at Khadija School for Islamic Girls. Afterwards, we directed our cab to the address of the dojo. I needed to speak directly with Sensei about rescheduling my weapons class. He was strict about his students keeping their word and honoring their agreements. So was I. We rescheduled and agreed on weapons class for Thursday at 8 a.m. until 12 noon. I think he considered my punishment for rescheduling to be the extra early morning class and the extra two hours of instruction, but there was no punishment in it for me. I was ready to learn whatever he was willing to teach. At home, we unpacked and resituated things. I showered and jumped back into jeans and kicks and a polo shirt. We prayed. By telephone, I made the appointments for us to see some properties tomorrow. In our building, I spoke to Miss Marcy about our scheduling changes for the week due to Uma's temporary night shift. She eagerly agreed for Naja's sake and the extra earnings as well. I spoke sharply to her about getting enough rest so she wouldn't leave Naja unsupervised while she slept. I reminded her that only she should answer her door, and even then there was no reason to open it. I escorted Uma to work by 3.45 p.m. She went in 15 minutes early.